the business on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. You see it, we help you do it. AIB, for the life you're after. Now, from traditional media to new media, imagine this. You type a simple description, say a windy street in Dublin, cherry trees are shedding their blossoms, a couple walk by arm in arm, and within a split second, a video version of your description appears on screen. This is the latest OpenAI tool that is provoking reactions ranging from shock to awe. To look at the implications for such tools, we're joined by tech entrepreneur Mark Little and Marie Toft, founder of Emotionize AI. You're both very welcome to the programme. First of all, this particular piece of kit, which isn't publicly available yet, but I'm sure it's only a matter of time, is referred to as Sara, Mark. Um, how realistic are these videos? And what do you think the impact could be? First of all, thinking about the opportunities that arise from it. Yeah, so if, you, if, you, I, if you've ever, like, I mean, I'm old enough to remember going from, like, the black and white to colour television, the first time I got a high-definition television. And it's that sense of awe. So we talked about shock and awe. It's the awe to begin with. You see these images which are very slick, high definition. They're kind of like advertising. And they come at you and you're like, oh my God, this is a game changer. And then you slip into something that I think technologists call uncanny valley. Where you've got something so simulated, human, it looks human, but there's something weird about it. And in my case, I was watching the grandmother cooking in the kitchen. This is one of the videos produced by Sora. And you can see the spoon appearing and then disappearing. And it's not great actually mimicking human behaviour over the long term. But for me, the thing I go to as someone who's nostalgic for the future was education. Thinking about the dry old texts, I wonder if Peg Sayers could have been turned by Sora into a video. Would I have connected with the Irish language better? I also think about probably bigger applications like, for example, OpenAI describes this as a world simulator. So could we, for example, using hard data, construct the damage of a storm or a tsunami or climate change using these kind of simulators? So that's what's there. But the economic incentives of the internet are this, entertainment. This will be something that potentially gives you and me, Richard, a different experience of our favourite movie because we can stick ourselves in as the main character. It'll be entertainment first. It is awful, (laughs) and I think we will be disappointed by this technology. That's the one rule I would say before we see the long-term substantial impact. And there are obvious threats and disinformation and impact on politics and campaigns. But just sticking with it, Marie Toft, uh, your own business, you're involved in AI and and your company, Emotionize. Just first of all, tell us what you do. Thanks, Richard. So um, we have been working with AI um, for well over two and a half years now. So we saw... Um, GPT-3 in 2020, ever before ChatGPT was released and we saw the potential. So basically what we've done is we have trained AI to imitate emotional emotional intelligence. We create all of our own data and we train AI and we help improve outcomes for employee engagement and customer support. So as you're writing any form of communication, both verbal and written, it will give you an emotional audit on what you've written and it will suggest more emotionally intelligent replacement sentences. What's an emotional audit? An emotional audit. So if, let's say, you wrote... Um, you're writing an email to an employee, a colleague, and you say, this behaviour is outrageous, it must be stopped immediately. Our AI will say, look, we suggest this language may be a little bit inflammatory. Um, you Do you know, you know what is happening with your employee? And it will always be on the side of the angels and basically bring your language back. But it's, on the, it's, on, it's based on the idea that 
a so-called emotional intelligence may not be that widespread. Lots of people just aren't good at figuring that out for themselves. Well, actually, it's quite shocking. And when I say this, everybody looks at, looks around, but only 36% of us globally are emotionally intelligent. So, and we think it's going to fall from the sky. It's in, it's in short supply. So what this is, is it's like a cognitive collaborator. It's like a safety net. So that's, uh, that's, a, that's a tool that and you, you can identify the uses and it's, it's, it's using AI in a very effective way. And a lot of people might find it useful. To get on to the other side of it, Mark, disinformation, misinformation, elections, this kind of video technology that we're talking about, how how significantly could that impact? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is one important principle here is to understand that you can, not a binary choice, good or bad. It's both good and it's bad. And it's probably bad in ways we don't yet understand. I think a lot of the time we, we come up with these existential fears about this AI going to destroy humanity. But actually, in the short term, it's a vector of abuse. It will be used by you know young men, for example, to put the likeness of someone they know on a sexually exploited image. It'll be a form of misogynistic violence. And that's right now happening. So that's the kind of short-term problem we're dealing with. Disinformation, a little bit more nuanced in that it is a major problem. This year, more than half the world's population will go to the ballot. Uh, we'll see elections in the US, in the UK, in India, and we're starting to see fake imagery and audio around the margins of those elections. But the really important thing is it's being used by politicians and by governments as a form of modern propaganda. And that's really where I fear, not the sort of... Doesn't augur groups. well for the idea that they're going to seriously regulate it and try and keep it under control. That, that's the problem here. A lot of the disinformation comes from the top. What about cognitively? The idea that when, when this type of artificial video is generated and people use it for entertainment, people use it for misinformation, disinformation and political campaigns, there comes a time in the future when we take that into account and we get better at sort of saying, well, I'm not necessarily going to believe that because I don't even know if that's true. But until that happens, Marie, it's a recipe for chaos, isn't it? It is. And the problem here, Richard, is that the technology is way ahead of the le legislation and the guardrails. And unfortunately, tech companies have, have not exactly been stellar in regulating themselves in the past. Um, and there's all talk about watermarking at the moment. So in October, President Biden signed an executive order saying all AI content needed to be watermarked. And in fact, earlier this month, OpenAI, which has released Sora, brought out a watermark for DALI, which was kind of the precursor, which was still images. The problem is uh, these watermarks can be easily removed. And you're right, we, then we live in and this kind of... it depends on where the content is generated Exactly. As well, um, and then we the live world. in this kind of twilight zone where we're, what, what are we expected to believe? Do we believe anything? I mean, you saw how the deep fake pornographic <laughs> images of Taylor Swift went viral earlier this year. So, I mean, like I said, the technology is ahead of the legislation and that's, that's the difficulty. What about jobs, Mark? And rather than focus necessarily on whether the robots will manufacture the robots and uh, it'll, it'll be a sort of a doomsday scenario. Just the economic impact mm. of this. Uh, John McCarthy, the chief economist in the Department of Finance, described AI this week as the fourth industrial revolution. But at the same time, he warned of a severe vulnerability to our economy in the medium to long term by way of a risk to job losses. You could make an argument, a strong argument, this is a fifth revolution, right? We started off with the machine, right? We then had electricity, then we had the computer, the internet, and now we have potentially AI as a fifth. The really big issue here is the speed. It took about 100 years for those first three revolutions. It's taken 30 for the fourth. And now it's every single week we're seeing new groundbreaking technologies introduced. So the speed's the first thing. And the second is back to Marie's point, the, the existential change in the way we think about work. It used to be that our value as humans was critical thinking, creativity. No, it's not. 
It's actually not the machines taking care of that. It's the emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-regulation, vision, communication. So I think we're going to shift ourselves to businesses where we know what defines the human versus the machine. The most important thing, I think, the common denominator in all the studies we're seeing, because no one can predict the impact on, let's say, accountancy or law right now, the common denominators where AI is used as a co-pilot, a conscious partnership between human and machine, it starts to work really well. Where it's an autopilot replacing a human and implemented in unconscious ways, that's where it gets really bad. One of the dangers of that, Marie, I was just thinking about it, might be that in time, people will be able to discern, you know, a bit better what's fake and what's not fake or to dismiss what they think might be fake and not take it into account. But the tools to make those distinctions are grounded in our real life experience of watching somebody sitting across from a table, watching people on a bus, interactions with people. The more hours we spend per day on screens, we're going to miss out on a lot of the experience that allows us to make those discerning uh, interpretations. Like, absolutely. And I think you're even seeing this already with millennials, Gen Z and the new generation, Alpha, the under 14s. And, you know, COVID was just so awful for them as well. They're already in a, a generation that have been on screens and suddenly for two years they were locked up and they didn't see those human interactions. And you're already seeing, studies are showing emotional intelligence and empathy levels are dropping. So this is really quite serious, you know. So we, we need that kind of human interaction is vital. And as Mark said, what's interesting about the EU AI Act, which was signed off by all member states at the start of this month, and parts of it are going to be implemented this year, is human oversight, is a key part of what's about to happen. And finally, Mark, just to you, education, future of education and how we, we think about it. What, what are the implications, do you think? There's a principle emerging here in our conversation, which is any regulation or investment that allows us to be aware of the difference between the human and the machine is what we're aiming for here. The analogy I would use would be in food. We walk into our food shops, we know the basic regulation makes it safer to go and buy the food, but we're aware that we have choices. We're conscious. Okay. That's the key. We're just at the beginning of what will be a very long journey, no doubt. Many thanks to uh, tech entrepreneur Mark Little and Marie Toft, founder of Emotionize AI.